Now, tonight, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. The scripture that we're reading tonight is going to be on the screens, uh, so you can turn there. And of course, if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, you can use your phone. We love technology here. And I would just encourage you, tonight and every single week, when you come here, bring your Bible or bring your phone with the Bible app on it and underline. Take notes, because we as human beings are forgetful, and we want to remember this stuff, not just tomorrow, but in five years, in five months, in five days even. Like, I probably won't even remember what I preach in five days, right? So we want to take notes so we can remember, because in these moments, God speaks to us, and we don't want to forget what he spoke to us. But um, we're going to be in the book of John. John is a, uh, there are four gospel accounts, and the gospel accounts are telling, uh, retelling, <coughs> excuse me, uh, retellings of Jesus's life. And so they're like four different angles of the same story, and, and it's, we, call them the gospel, we call it the gospel of John. And it's the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus. And so John was the disciple John, the apostle John. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three were like, who were like his, his inside crew, his council. And then he had one best friend, and that was John. John referred to himself as Jesus' favorite, the disciple. The disciple whom Jesus loved. So John and Jesus were tight. They were close. They were best friends. And John writes about the life of Jesus. Now, your Bible, I don't know if you turned there and you're like, wait a minute, or I didn't even tell you where to turn in John. I just said turn to John. John chapter 7, verse 53. We're going to read to John chapter 8, verse 11. Now, your Bible actually might not include this. There are actually some translations of the Bible that have chosen not to include this portion of Scripture. The reason being is that it's pretty scandalous. This is an insane story. Um... And, and the earliest manuscripts that we have of the book of John actually don't include this scripture. Uh, some later on do. And so different scholars and theologians have chosen either to accept or reject this scripture. Now, I have chosen to accept it. And my Bible, the ESV translation, accepts it as well. But you might have a translation that says, no, this, this probably wasn't in scripture. Or we don't know for sure, so we're not going to include it. But I'm pretty certain, based on my understanding, that this um, is meant to be in the canon of scripture, and uh, it aligns perfectly with the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so we're going to read John chapter 8, verse 53, or John chapter 7, verse 53, to John chapter 8, verse 11. So it says this, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. To stone is to murder with large rocks. So pretty brutal way to, way to go. So, so they, they question him. They say, So what do you say, Jesus? They said this to test him, that they might have some kind of charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. So he stood up, and he said to them, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to stone her, to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down, and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up, and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What an amazing, amazing moment in the life of Jesus. 
We're going to dig into this in a second and just allow God to speak to us. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Father, I want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for every single person who is here in this place. And God, I ask and we ask that you would speak to us. God, some of us have been going to church for years. and We're tired of meetings. God, we want a moment with you. We want to meet our maker. We want to have an encounter with God. And so would you, would you, would you meet us in a tangible, real way? Would this not be information transfer, but revelation from your Holy Spirit? And so inspire us, encourage us, teach us, and lead us. We give you the next 30 minutes of our lives, and we say, have your way. Do a work in our hearts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And all of God's people said, come on, we can do better than that. All of God's people said, come on. We are not the chosen frozen people. I feel like every week we need to come to church excited and anticipating Again, we're not just, this is not a lecture, people. I'm not a professor. I don't have the hair and the mustache and the suit. But, um, uh, so, to, not today, but uh, a couple of days ago, my, my wife and I, Roberta, she shared her testimony. Uh, thank you for sharing, by the way. Uh, amazing story, and you're an amazing woman. And uh, so, earlier this week, uh, we got into a little argument. Uh, I know if you follow us on Instagram, it looks like our lives are perfect, but our lives are not perfect, and uh, I'll give you some insight, but we got into this little argument. We get into little arguments sometimes, every once in a while, and we fight, and we bicker, but we got into this argument, and I began thinking about our biggest argument ever, our, 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 our largest fight, our, 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 the, the, the moment we're not proud of in our relationship, and I want to share it with you tonight. <laughs> so it was a few years ago. We were engaged, not married yet. We were still living in Edmonton. And uh, it was a few months before our wedding, and so we were looking around for furniture. We had decided we were going to rent this place, and so we were getting furniture, and we were just filling up our home. We were creating a, a home for ourselves. And we went to this place called Leon's. We have Leon's in, in, in Winnipeg here. But we went to Leon's, and we were looking at furniture. We were looking at bedroom sets and living room sets, and we were just having a great time. It was a lot of fun. And then out of the corner of my eye, I, I saw the entertainment section. And, and all the TVs and the sound systems and the media units. And I was like, Berta, when, when we're done, we got to head over there. And so we finished up, and she reluctantly was like, okay, we can head over to the entertainment unit. And we start looking at TVs. And I immediately walked to the biggest TV, and, and I was like, this is the, the, the TV we should get. And, uh, and I'm looking and I'm dreaming. I was like, Roberta, we could set up our living room like this. And how amazing would it be to have people over at our house? And they're just watching this massive TV. And it's like a 70-inch TV. And she's like, well, how much is it? And I show her the price. And she's like, no, we're not getting a TV that big. And, and I was so discouraged. And I was so upset. And I was like, and I just proudly kind of put my foot, uh, I put my foot down. And, and I was like, well, we're not getting a TV any less than 50 inches. That's, that's final, woman. It's, that's how it's going to be. And that set us off into the worst argument of, of our relationship ever. And we began to argue about the size of our television. I was like, we're getting 50 inches. And she's like, no, well, we, we, we can't. What if we did 42 inches? And I was like, no, we're getting 50 inches. We're getting a 50-inch TV. It's going to be the best. And she's like, well, what about this one? It's, it's 32 inches. And as she continued to get smaller and smaller, she eventually was like, why don't we just watch Netflix on our MacBooks? You know, she's just like... Threw my idea out the window. I was getting frustrated. She was getting frustrated. I wouldn't budge. I was standing at the 50 inches trying to get bigger. She was getting smaller and smaller. And her whole point was, I don't want to spend money on a big TV. I'm like, if we're spending money on couches, if I'm sacrificing so we can have pictures on the walls and frames and smelly stuff and candles, 
we're sacrificing to get a nice TV. And so we are actually arguing in a public place. Like, people are around us, like, not going in the aisle we were in. They were, like, dodging us and avoiding us. And um, we decide, okay, let's leave. And so we, we walk out of Leon's, and we're huffing, and we're puffing, and we get in the car, and I remember, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I said it. I shouldn't have said it, but I was like, you always do this. And that just set us off, and we began arguing the entire drive home, and it just got worse and worse and worse. By the time we get to my place where we were hanging out, we weren't even arguing about TVs anymore. We were arguing about stuff from last month, six months ago, stuff that even hadn't even happened yet. We were just arguing about everything. Hours later, we're like, what are we even fighting about? We had no idea, and it was like, oh, yeah, the TV. And, uh, and uh, I don't, like, usually win arguments, but I feel like I need to let you know that our current TV is 50 inches. <laughs> I think it's the one time I've won. But that was the worst fight we've ever had over a stupid TV. I feel like today, in 2018, we got a whole lot of fighting happening, don't we? We got a whole lot of arguing. We got a whole lot of people who have ended up, who have, who have put the stake in the ground and they're in this camp and they're against the people who are in this camp. So we got people fighting. Everyone's offended. Everyone's throwing insults. Everyone's upset. Everyone's offended. And it's interesting as you look at culture, as you look at where we are as a society, we've become very polarized. When it comes to any issue, there isn't option 1 through 6 or 1 through 20. It's A or B, 1 or 2, right? 50-inch TV, 13-inch TV is where we ended up. It's, it's polarized. Everything is polarized. Global warming. You can't have a conversation about global. It's polarized. Politics, polarized. Poverty, polarized. Gun laws, polarized. Everything that you could think of and even just remotely want to have a conversation about is option A or B. We live in a very polarized world right now. And most of us as followers of Jesus have been caught into this. We've been swept into this as well. So we find ourselves in camp A or camp B on most issues. There's no conversation. There's just telling. There's just yelling. This is my opinion and you accept it or you're wrong. That, that's, that's the world that we find ourselves in. So we don't look, we don't look different than, than, than anyone. We've kind of been swept into this. But Paul says, Paul is a writer in the New Testament. He's this missionary, this pastor, this leader, and he writes half of the New Testament, which uh, is, it talks about the life of Jesus and after Jesus left. So we have the Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, but Paul says in Romans, this book that he writes to the church in Rome, he says, you're supposed to look different than the world. There's supposed to be a, stink, a distinction between Christians and non-Christians. There's, you're supposed to function differently. Like, fundamentally, you are not supposed to be the same. There is a difference. But right now, we look pretty much the same. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. How do we, as followers of Jesus, engage our culture? How do we fit in? What do we do? How do we live out our perspective and our worldview and engage the people around us? in 2018. And when it comes to engaging culture, living out our worldview, being for the people, not just being against something, but being for something, Jesus actually shows us a lot. He tells us a lot in this story that John covers uh, in in basically John chapter 8. So John begins by telling us that one morning Jesus woke up, and immediately when he woke up, he went to the temple, 
which is kind of like the church of, of the Jewish people, the religious establishment and, and, and worship center. So he gets up, he goes to the temple, and he starts preaching, and he starts teaching, and, and this group of people form in, in the temple, and Jesus is teaching these people. And, and things are going well until John tells us that this group of Pharisees, Pharisees were religious leaders, they were, they were like the pastors of the day, they were the people who, who, you know, who kept Judaism going, they, 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 they led Judaism. So this group of Pharisees burst through the doors of the temple and they have this woman in, in, in their hands and they throw this woman on the ground in front of Jesus as this crowd is listening to him preach. They interrupt everything. They throw her on the ground. She's got like no clothes on, just a blanket covering her. And they throw her on the ground and they stand and they pridefully declare, Jesus, we just caught this woman having sex with a man who is not her husband. Now, according to our religious values, the Mosaic law, which was the law given uh, through God or through Moses by God to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. So this was their religious values, their, their religious rules. According to the Mosaic law, this woman needs to die. She needs to be stoned. So again, you take big rocks and you throw it at someone until they die. Terrible way to go. That's what the law says, Jesus. Now, what do you say? And by doing this, they give Jesus an ultimatum. They put him in this predicament and they demand one of two things. One, Jesus say, yep, that's what the law says. Stone her, kill her, or two, let her go. Now, John tells us that the Pharisees were testing Jesus. They were trying to trap him. Uh, At this time, Jesus was very popular with the people, but he was not popular with the Pharisees because he was preaching grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and relationship over religion. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, didn't like that. So they hated Jesus. So they're trying to set him up. They're trying to bring charge against him. They're trying to find fault in him so they can have him thrown into jail or killed or something. They just want to get rid of Jesus. So, so they test him, and, 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 and they basically set Jesus up for failure. Because if Jesus says, okay, stone her, according to the Mosaic law, then everything he's taught about forgiveness, grace, mercy, kindness, love, is thrown out the window. And if Jesus says, let her go, then basically he says that the religious law doesn't matter which isn't true because Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So he's trapped in this moment. And what the Pharisees have done is they've polarized the situation. And this is where we find ourselves in culture today. Everything is polarized. You're trapped. You're stuck. And, and, and this is exactly where I believe Satan wants us as a society. This is exactly where the devil wants us. The devil wants us divided. The devil wants us pitted against each other. The devil wants us arguing and bickering over stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. And he wants us to never be able to agree on a, on a cons- and have consensus on the stuff that does matter. So we're stuck. That's where the enemy wants us. The enemy loves it when we're divided. But do you know that God's heart is that we would be united? Not based on our values or, or on our worldviews, but united based on the fact that we live on planet Earth. Based on the fact that we are people, he wants us to unite because we all have hands because we all have eyes, because we were all children of God. So the Pharisees, they polarized this situation. And Jesus, as he's faced with this ultimatum, this dilemma, option A or option B, I love what Jesus does. He's so gangster, he ignores them. Jesus doesn't say anything. John tells us that Jesus, when they come to him, they throw the woman in front of him, he actually just bends down and he begins to write in the sand. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what he's writing. It's not important what he's writing, but the fact is he's ignoring them. 
And I love that Jesus ignores them. I love that he stays silent because you know what that tells us? It tells us that when we, are, when we find ourselves in a polarized situation, when, when there's an argument and there's just two extremes, you know you can remain silent. I feel like we get sucked into moments and we feel compelled to say something. Even if we don't believe it, we're like, well, blah, 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 blah. It's like, why'd you say that? I don't know. I just felt like I needed to say something. Do you agree with that? No, I just kind of thought of it on the spot. Jesus gives us permission to remain silent. Jesus gives us permission to not engage, to not respond. Jesus gives us permission to think through a response that we actually believe and aligns with who we are and what we're about. Do you know that you have permission to not engage? Do you know that you have permission to think through a response? When you see something on Facebook that makes your blood boil, you don't have to type a comment. You can leave it. You can X off Facebook. And you can go to the gym and work out or do whatever you want to do. You don't have to engage. Jesus gives us that freedom. But, but as Jesus is silent, as he's ignoring them and he doesn't say anything, he's, he's on the ground drawing. The Pharisees grow frustrated. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, what do you say? We asked you a question. Give us an answer. What should we do with this woman? And Jesus, eventually, he stands up and he gives them an answer. Except Jesus doesn't give them answer A, nor answer B. They tried to set him up, but he didn't give, him, give them either of those answers. Jesus would not be trapped. Jesus would not allow himself to be boxed in. He, he, he wouldn't conform to society's expectations. He wouldn't conform to, to culture's, um, um, culture's pressure, what the Pharisees wanted, what the crowd wanted. He, he, he wouldn't allow himself to fall into this trap of polarization and choosing an extreme. So I love what Jesus does. He doesn't go for option A or option B. Jesus creates a new option, option C. He stands up and he says, all right, but let he who has never sinned throw the first stone. And it's here that we're introduced to this idea that lots of people, many people call the third way. The third way. And, and the third way is this idea that in a polarized situation, there's got to be another way. That in a, a moment where there seems like there's one or two, A or B, this or that, there's got to be something else. There's got to be an option three or four or five or six or 25. There's got to be more. That's the idea of the third way. It means that we don't have to give in to expectations or pressures, that we don't have to give in to someone's emotions or even our emotions. In, in, in really the third way, I would call it the Jesus way. The Jesus way. This is how Jesus lived his life. This is how we're supposed to fight. This is how we're supposed to engage. This is how we're supposed to live our lives, is, is, is the Jesus way. It's this idea that in every situation, that we shouldn't just go with the flow or go with what seems right, that we should enter into that moment and prayerfully consider and discern what God would want us to do. So, so when you find yourself in that moment, pray. Discern, use wisdom, think. God, what should I do? What should I say? Where should I go? How should I engage? How should I respond? It's the third way. It's the Jesus way. It's about the will of the Father, not the will of culture. It's about the will of God, not the will of man. What does God want us to do? The third way, the Jesus way. That's how we're supposed to engage. And as Jesus um, chooses the third way, he actually de-escalates this situation. And the Pharisees, who once stood proud in their religion with their opinions, 
they, they, they drop their rocks as they're confronted with their own humanity and their own brokenness, and they walk away. And they leave the situation. And, and, and John tells us that as the Pharisees left, the crowd that was there originally also left. And now Jesus is in this moment with just him and the woman, and John tells us that Jesus stands up because the woman is now standing. And, and I don't know if you caught that or not, but I think this is very profound and we need to take note that when this woman was thrown in on the ground, Jesus got in the dirt. And then when the woman stands, Jesus stands. And, and I don't think Jesus got in the dirt so he could draw. I don't think he was practicing his handwriting or anything. You know what I think Jesus was doing? I think Jesus was attempting to get on her level. I think Jesus was attempting to engage her. I think Jesus was trying to build rapport and relationship with this woman. And, and I think that if we want to engage people, if we want to engage society and culture, we need to begin to get on the same level as them. We need to begin to understand where people are coming from. We need to lean into moments with people. We need to know their stories and get to know their hearts and who they are. What we love to do as followers of Jesus is tell people like it is. We love to say, this is, it, this is the truth and this is that. We don't even know them. And we're telling them how to live their lives. Jesus says, you need to build relationships. You, 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 we need to connect before we correct. We can't just run around making statements. We need to have conversations. So Jesus is showing us that the way to engage culture is to build relationships with people. Get in their world and get to know them. And not because you have an agenda. Get to know them simply because they are people. Simply because you work with them. Simply because you sit beside them. Simply beside, because, because you're doing life with them. Get to know people, build relationships. But I find it interesting that before Jesus could build relationship with this woman, he first had to earn her respect. Jesus had to earn her respect before he could build relationship with her. So, so the, the entire time this moment is happening, the Pharisees are, are, are questioning Jesus, demanding that he answer. This woman is watching. She's there. She's witnessing this whole thing. She's, she's, she's looking at Jesus. She's seeing how he's responding and what he's saying and what is he doing. She's watching him. Do you know that in 2018 people are watching you? Do you know that everywhere you go people are watching you? People are judging you. People are analyzing you. People are critiquing you. People are watching. This woman was watching Jesus, and, and he earned her respect. Do you want to know how he earned her respect? By staying true to his convictions. By not giving in to the pressure around him. By not, by, he stood firm. He stood bold. He was unashamedly him. He knew what he was about. He knew what he was for. He knew what he needed to do, and he did it. And in doing so, he earned her Respect. He didn't do what the Pharisees want him to do, wanted him to do. He did what he knew was right, what he knew the Father wanted him to do. Why is it that we think as followers of Jesus, if we want to influence people around us, we got to look like them? Why do we think we got to do what everyone else is doing to be able to engage and influence? Like we try so hard to be relevant. We try so hard to be cool. It's like, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm cool. Look, look. I actually have heard people say, I get drunk, so people around me who don't know Jesus will think I'm cool. I'm a cool Christian. We, we, we sacrifice our faith in the name of faith. I, I actually have heard people say, 
yeah, I, I sleep with my non-Christian girlfriend or boyfriend even though we're not married because, because I think if I give them sex that, that, that maybe through, they, uh, their soul will be saved. Like, what? We sacrifice our faith in the name of faith. But Jesus shows us the opposite is true. You want to engage people? You want to influence the world around you? Earn the respect of the people around you by staying true to who you are, standing firm. You got to walk the talk. You got to walk the talk as a follower of Jesus. So how do, you, how do I engage? Just be you. We, we try so hard to be everyone else. Just be you. Just be you. And do everything that God is calling you to do and be. And then once we have people's respect, like Jesus did with this woman, we can build relationships. And once we have relationships, we can begin to influence the world around us. Ultimately, we want to influence them towards Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the answer to every question. We believe that Jesus is the solution to every problem. So we want to point the world to Jesus. We also just want to paint a better future, be part of a better world. But once you have respect and relationship, you can have influence with the world around you. And, 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 And so once we have influence, then we gain a voice. People actually care what you have to say. People actually want to hear what you have to say. They want to listen. Because, because check this out. Why would someone listen to you if you don't have, so if you don't have respect, why would someone listen to you talk about Jesus and share the gospel if you aren't living it out? Yo, I got to tell you about this Jesus, man. He changed my life. Bro, he didn't change your life. You're, you're living the exact same as me. And, and we got to build relationship because why on earth would someone allow you to share something about Jesus and, and how, he, how he's invaded your life and he's changed your story when you don't know their story. So we got to have relationship and respect and then we could have influence. And I love what Jesus does when he has influence in this woman's life. He asks a question. Again, we love to make statements. Jesus asks a question. He says, he says where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. They're, they're, they're gone. And he says, oh, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I love this moment that Jesus has with this woman. I can picture the countenance on his face, the smile, the joy. There's no condemnation in his voice. There's no judgment. He's not yelling. He's not mad. But he's also honest. He also acknowledges the reality and he calls out her sin and her lifestyle. And I think we need to and, 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 and Jesus, uh, John in chapter 1, earlier on, a few chapters before, I love how Jesus responds, and then John talks about it. Jesus was fully grace and fully truth. And that's what we see in this moment, Jesus being fully gracious and loving and merciful, but also 100% real and honest with this woman. I think we need to learn how to be fully grace and fully truth. Fully grace and fully truth. Um, I think as, so when Jesus, when Jesus called out someone's sin, he never once looked down on them and said, you idiot! Get better! Your your sin is stupid! And I I don't like it and I don't like you. He, He never once said that. Whenever Jesus called out sin, he said, he said, come come away with me. He he invited, he invites people into something better. He says, come and journey with me. Come and join this adventure. Come and be in relationship with me. Jesus doesn't just condemn or, 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 or just uh, tell us we're stupid and we're wrong. He invites us into something better, a new life, relationship with him. I think we miss that. 
I think we kind of make too many statements. We need to learn how to be fully grace and fully truth. Colossians, Paul, in, in the letter to the Colossians, he says that we need to have gracious speech. You know what that tells me? That the way we communicate truth is just as important as the truth itself. The way we communicate truth is just as important as the truth itself. And as we begin to wrap up here, man, I need you to know our world, our world doesn't need any more Christians who act like lawyers, who puff up their chests and get real proud, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm right, and you're wrong. We don't need that. The world doesn't need that. You know what the world needs? You know what people need? It's a breath of fresh air. The world needs hope and love and mercy and grace. It needs followers of Jesus who are marked by hope and mercy and love and grace and truth. It needs followers of Jesus who get this, look like Jesus. The world needs Jesus and followers of, of him who, who, who look like him. So you know what that means? We actually need to know who Jesus is. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know who Jesus is. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. Because the world needs you to look like him. And the way you figure out who he is and what he's about is by getting into his word and communicating with him. This is how we fight. This is how we engage people. By living and looking and acting and being and speaking like Jesus. That's how we fight. That's how we engage. Listen, we have an opportunity, whether you find yourselves in politics or the arts or business or education or finance or the trades or in school, wherever you find yourself, we have an opportunity to show the world Jesus by how we live our lives. And, and I need you to know, listen, right now, the church, the church is on this pedestal, man. The church is on a pedestal. And people are listening. And people are watching. And people are tuned in to what the Jesus community is doing and behaving and, and what we're about. People are tuned in. Man, we're on the news. Pastors and leaders are on the news. It's on Facebook. Man, Vice. Vice, the worst news reporting agency ever, is, is, is talking about pastors and churches. Like, and no offense to Vice or anything if you like Vice. Some of their stuff is all right. But I'm just saying, they kind of have some dumb stories. But, but people, are, people are listening. People are focused on the church. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to say? How are we going to respond? How are we going to engage as people tune in to what we're about? I can tell you this, that as a community, we're not going to be known for what we're against. As a community, we will be known for what we are for. And can I tell you this? We are for the people. We are for the people. And we will advocate for the people. We will go to bat for the people. We will support the people. We will be there for the people. We will go out of our way for the people. We will be generous for the people. We will stand in the gap for people. We will respond to the needs of people. We will rescue people. Why? Why? Because Jesus 
is for us. Because Jesus is for us. That's what he did for us. Do you know that Jesus is for you? Do you know that Jesus is all about you? So Jesus is about us. We're going to be for others. If you're here tonight, man, maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, oh man, this guy yells a lot. <laughs> you're new here. Maybe this is your first or second time. Maybe you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you something? I need you to know, man, Jesus is so for you. He loves you so much. He cares so deeply for you. He is all about you. And tonight, I feel like I need to just give you the opportunity to respond and accept his grace and his love and enter into a relationship with him. So can I ask everyone to just bow their heads and close their eyes? We try to do this as much as we can. What I want to do is just, I'm going to count to three in a second. And when I do, if you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, all you're going to do is shoot up your hand. You're going to put your hand up, not because it's anything significant in scripture or anything like that. It just means uh, it's just an expression of what's happening on the inside. It's an outward expression of the inside. So if you're here and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've walked away from Jesus, you're like, man, I need Jesus in my life now, and you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus. You don't, need, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all together. This is just your faith step. This is just the beginning. And we'll walk you, and we'll, we'll show you the ropes, and we'll be there for you to support you along the way. But if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three, and then I want to invite you to just shoot up your hand. One, God loves you so much. He cares so deeply for you. Two, if you give your life to him, your problems might not go away, but you'll have someone you can always turn to and will walk with you through the storm. Three, if you're here and you want to make that decision tonight, just shoot up your hand. Just throw your hand up in the air. Hands around the auditorium. Thank you. Thank you for putting up your hand. It's so exciting for you. I want to pray for you. Jesus... The hands that are raised here tonight, we, are, we're, we just celebrate that decision that they have made to enter into relationship with you. We're so excited for them. And God, I pray for the beginning of a vibrant, amazing life with you. God, would they have life and life to the full as they walk and journey with you. Would you protect them? God, I know as they leave this place, the enemy's going to try to get in their heads and get in their hearts and try to pull them away from you and undo the work that you've done. We, got, we pray against that in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they would begin to be supported and people would rally behind them and around them and show them what this life looks like to follow you. God, invade their life, everything that they find themselves in. Would you just be a part of it? We want to thank you for their decision tonight to follow you, Jesus. And every person in this place put their hands together and celebrated the people who have decided to follow Jesus. Welcome home. We love you. We're so glad that you made that decision. Now I want to invite you to stand and we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to give it all we got. Man, he is good. He is worthy. And we want to follow him. So let's worship.